Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, sitting next to Julian Wiggum in rainy Jersey City. It's the bye week for Syracuse, three and two, coming off a win over Holy Cross, traveling to NC State next Thursday. Uh, so the schedule will be moved up next week. We're going to chat a little bit about the bye week at the end of the episode. What SU's trying to get done? How are the injured guys doing, including quarterback Tommy DeVito? Uh, but for most of the show, uh, we're going to have a conversation with Sam Rogers, former SU long snapper, uh, currently seeking the Republican nomination for the 53rd district seat in the New York Senate. Actually, the first Republican to start organizing a campaign. So we're going to talk with Sam a little bit about his background at SU, playing with Julian, uh, learning how to be a leader, and, and how he kind of went from wanting to go into law and into switching to politics. So good good story there. Um, before we dive into that, i got to remind all of you guys to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you use. Give us five stars. Any advertisers who, who want to support us, please call Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. And with that, let's dive into our conversation with Sam Rogers. So, Sam, you know, the last time I actually saw you, I think you may have been in your second year of law school. And, um, you know, just going through your background, we saw that uh, you turned down a job in New York City. How did you end up deciding to pursue, uh, you know, government and starting your political career? Yeah, sure. So, so you're right on. You know, I was I was in my second year at law school, and in between my second and third year, I did an internship for this big law firm in New York City. And a lot of my classmates are kind of funneled in that direction. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really good opportunity to, you know, to be honest, you make a lot of money, um, you can pay off some loans, and and kind of get to work in the the law capital of the world. And I was in the middle of that internship, and just kind of realized it's it's not what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do, I learned I loved doing, you know, as a member of the football team. And that's getting involved in the community and going into the schools and talking to the kids, um, inspiring the team to do different things um, in the community. And then also just interacting with the fans and and just kind of being a, a leader in the community. And I thought, you know, government and politics would be a great way to do that. Absolutely. Um, so... You're from Pennsylvania. What kind of established uh, your roots in Central New York and your commitment to the community? Uh, I know we did a lot of Lift for Life uh, activities together, and I know you were a major part of that. I remember uh, back when we played, uh, you were bugging me every two minutes. Hey, Julian, Julian, we got Lift for Life. Are you, are you ready? Are you ever ready to go? Um, so I, I know you were, you were really big on that. So what kind of established your roots in Central New York and uh, your commitment to the community? Yeah, so it was. Uh, I came here to play football under Coach Marone. And, and from there, it's just I, I think I understood and realized the platform that I had and that we had as football players in this community. Yep. You know, as football players, um, the fans cared what we did. They cared what we thought about, what we were passionate about. And a lot of it was, you know, how can we leverage that to do some really cool things? You know, representing the university and the town on the field is, is amazing and it's a great experience. But how can we take this even further, you know, during the summer when we're, we're up here and we're just lifting, we have a lot of free time on our hands, or when the, the kids at the school really look to us as an example, how can we take our position and, and really leverage it to better the community around us? So it's really as an as a undergrad student and as a football player that I, I realized that. And in, in Syracuse, 
um, made that happen and, and got to meet a lot of really great people that that ultimately, you know, my wife and I are very confident that this is just, it's an amazing place to live and we want to inspire and encourage other people to, to think the same way and, and see it the same way we do. Sam, okay. So this is something I really want to bring, especially when um, uh, sharing the uh, article on Twitter, seeing you were running, uh, it, it was really funny to me, and it, it just popped in my head again. Uh, there was one time, I'm sure you don't remember it, but uh, there was one day, and just for the, the listeners out there, um, I was one of the annoying guys on the team because I never went to breakfast check. So I was usually <laughs> I was usually the guy that all the other guys were like, come on, Julian, get it together, go to breakfast check. They didn't serve Exactly, exactly. I was up very early <laughs> because I refused to go to breakfast check. But there was one day, Sam, um, where you were sitting, you were at a, at that little desk, you know, um, by the back locker room, that little desk area, um, and you're sitting there working, and I'm sitting there, I'm uh, finally have finished up at breakfast, and I'm sitting by myself, I'm like, hey, Julian, can you come talk to me for a second? And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go, Cap's got something for me. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and you really stressed um that hey julian you know there there's a lot of and a lot of what you had just talked about julian there's are a lot of things that we do as football players that people look up to and aspire to and if you can just figure out the little things you know you could be you'd be great off the field and it'll translate to what you're doing on the field uh where did you get that leadership mentality and kind of understanding how and it's almost obvious like some guys just get it some guys don't but where did it come from for you um that those leadership traits to know hey man this is how things are supposed to be done because it seemed like from day one the first day that i met you um you always seem to have it figured out i'm like man I, i don't know how he does it but some kind of way every single day he brings it well, uh, first of all, thank you. you know, I appreciate that. And second of all, I think I think it goes back uh, a ways. One one example that kind of always comes to my mind is report cards. You know, in grade school. Hmm. And one thing I always remember uh, that my parents would do is they did not care what grade was on my report card. The only thing they cared about were the comments that my teacher left. And so those comments, you know, was I being a leader in the classroom? And that doesn't mean answering every question or, you know, being a know-it-all, but it means were, were you leading your classmates in terms of, you know, how to act and how to behave and doing things right, not getting in trouble and those sort of things. So I think that kind of carried on um, kind of as I as I grew up and, and eventually made it to Syracuse. And I think... You know, I, I was a captain of the team as a long snapper, and a lot of people kind of look at me puzzled. You know, how did that happen? And it is. It's, it's an interesting thing. I think there was two of us that year that were captains of Division One teams, mm-hmm. and I really think it was because I understood my role as a leader on that team. You know, I, I wasn't trying to be the guy on game day or in practice telling the team, you know, how to play football. Because if you think about it, you know, if I came up to you during a game, hey, Julian, you know, when you're covering that guy, <laughs> you don't you don't really care about that. But right. I kind of found my role was, well, I can lead this team off the field and excellence in things other than football, whether that's going to class, getting in the community, or even just following 
you know, the basic rules that make this team function. And I'll let the other, you know, the, the linebackers and the, the Cam Lynches and the Sean Hickeys and the Tyson Gullies, yep. they can lead on the field, but we need someone that's, that's going to take care of us off the field as well. Absolutely. And throughout all of this, like with, with our football careers, I'm finding that a lot of things that I did um, – that, that they're starting to translate now into media in terms of uh, meeting deadlines or being available and all these different things. What have you gotten from the game of football that's helped you in, in your, one, your, your law career at law school and then now into your uh, political career? Yeah, I, I think it's amazing um, how well it translates over to the professional career. And one kind of um, abstract way, and then I'll give you one uh, concrete example, mm. is... You know, first of all, football is maybe the closest parallel to life you can get, the closest simulation, because it's really manufactured adversity. And that's what you constantly face as you're, you're trying to get that next job or, or whatever you may be doing in your career or in your life, your family life or whatever, is you're always facing these ups and downs. And that is so evident in preparing for a football game, in playing in a football game, you know, if you get beat deep, you, you're back out on the field in, in less than five minutes, and you got to put that away, and you got to work through it. So it's this kind of this, this simulated adversity that football creates that allows you to go through these situations and kind of practice handling them. And I don't know if there's, there's another sport that, that does that as well because you also throw the team element into it. And, you know, as, as, as professionals, you're constantly working with other people and working – um, in teams in that way and and so secondly practically and what I've seen is employers realize this they realize that the discipline it takes to, to play football or really any other sport at such a high level it is very advantageous to the workforce and so when I was interviewing for law firms in New York City I uh, they it was kind of cool Cornell they rented out a hotel in New York City and it was three days of constant interviews just sitting down and talking with employers of, of these huge law firms that you know, you're just hoping to get an offer from and once they found out that I played football and then on top of that was a football captain it was like it was over because you know, you, they, they knew immediately that I could work with the team um, that I had the discipline to just find a way to get things done and I, I was very hireable at that, that part um, so, you know, football just teaches so much that, uh, you know, I'm so grateful for my experience and just the lessons that I derived from it and now applying it um, to, to get me to where I am now and, and hopefully propel me further as we go along. I would imagine that the political realm is um, a little bit different with that. What's it been like to start to explore, I guess, what the next few months are going to be like? And, and is there anything you take from, you know, your your experience leading at Syracuse that kind of carries over to, to seeking this nomination? Yeah, sure. I, I think the, the coolest thing I'm finding right now about the political experience is it mandates that you're constantly learning because you're talking to somebody new every day that cares about something different. And that just means you need to learn about their life, about what they care about, what motivates them, what issue they're worried about, their family's worried about, their friends are worried about. And so in, in school and as a football player, you know, you're constantly learning and you're developing not only, 
you know, what to learn, but your process of how do I learn? So that's why I think, you know, as a football player and as uh, a law student, now a grad student, uh, I will be effective is because my process of learning is, is so tightly tailored and I'm able to talk with people and really figure it out what they care about and then learn about it and, and apply it. So Julian and I were kind of touching on um, basically how to ask you about maybe like the divisiveness within the country and the parallels between that and like a locker room for maybe a football team that's that's going through something tough. Uh, sure. Do you, do you kind of see that and, and what like what approach do you kind of try and take to you know to that? It seems like every community especially in central New York is it, like I said I think divisive is probably the right word. Um, how do you kind of view that and what do you take from your time at SU to attack it? Right, you know, I'd say the um, first off, the, that that question comes up a lot, and a lot of people ask me, you know, Sam, you just graduated from Cornell Law School, you know, why not go work for a, a private firm, make your money, kind of just do your thing, and you know, politics right now is so chaotic and so divisive. Why? There's no way you can possibly make any difference, and. And that's kind of what motivates me is I, I think that's the wrong mindset. And I think that's the mindset that has led us kind of down the path we're on now where, you know, young qualified people that would, would like to do it right now don't seem willing to step up. And that's, that's where one way I kind of want to lead in this avenue and this area is I could have went to New York or there's other options out there, but I love this community and I'm willing to step up and serve it to the best that I can. And kind of how that that goes back to the locker room and the divisiveness and all that, you know, Julian could tell you, in the locker room, you don't really care, you know, if, if this guy is, say, a, a Democrat or Republican or whatever label have you. You just care if he's going to have your back and if he's going to help you get the job done. And I think that's the attitude that I can help bring is, hey, look, like who, who's going to step up? Who's going to serve? Who's going to do it for the right reason? And let's get this thing moving in the right direction. And that's, that's kind of wrapping sports and politics and everything all into it. But, but I think that's a unique mindset that I can bring and, and would be a very positive thing uh, for this area. You know, that's, that's a, uh, a trait that something – I think Syracuse football, <laughs> not to chase something so drastically um, – is looking for at the moment they're two and two right now and they're three and two, three and two holy i'm sorry cross Ho- ah holy cross yeah, yeah, yeah of course I'm, so- <laughs> 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 I'm struggling with that one but um as as the season moves along and uh seven games left they're at a position right now where uh they're trying to figure things out and kind of figure out which way the wind's blowing to, to set their sail. So uh, kind of wondering what you view uh, Syracuse needs right now in terms of inside the locker room. What are uh, some of those captains, those leaders telling their guys and uh, what's the mindset necessary for them to uh, kind of put it together? I would say, you know, find a way to get to fourth down. Because I'll tell you what, anytime Sterling Hallfrichter or Andre Schmidt go on the field, <laughs> something great is happening. Um, but, but all jokes aside, you know, I, I'm, I'm very excited and then also interested kind of for this next, next part of the season. There's some, some hiccups at the early part, you know, Maryland specifically, that, um, you know, I didn't think we were 100% going to win that game. I, I definitely didn't see 
uh, the outcome happening the way it did. But I think that just makes the rest of the season very very exciting because I think every game we're going to go in and play is it, it could go either way. And I think we have the tools in terms of the offensive firepower, the special teams, obviously, and then the defense has really showed that they can play with, with anyone. And I think the Clemson game is a great example of it. And to be honest, the Clemson game reminded me a lot of my senior year where the defense was playing great, keeping the team in the game. And then ultimately at the end, you know, it's hard to play defense for four quarters um, at that level. And, you know, I don't think the score was very representative of kind of how close that game was. But I think this team is – they're in a good position and coming down the stretch is going to be really exciting to watch. I'm kind of curious as someone who has been a leader during a bye week – um, what, what do you think that time actually provides? Like in the media realm, it's easy for us to say, oh, you have a week off to recalibrate this and that. Like how, how did you kind of treat bye weeks as a player? And, and like can real change be made mentally in that regard? A hundred percent. You know, you got to think these guys have been going at it since they started camp early this year too. I think it was the end of July. Yeah, last day. And it's been, it's been football, football, football. And, you know, I think finally – is now they kind of get a few days where, you know, you're still thinking about it, but it's not the constant pressure of, you know, we have a game that's televised on ESPN this weekend. We better, you know, get down to business on watching our film and how we're going to play it. I think it's kind of the refresh of just knowing you do have some time off. You can get in the training room, the ice tub, take care of yourself, and you can watch film at a more, it's not as urgent so it's just kind of like a different mindset, which helps refresh going into the game weekend. And then obviously, you know, it gives them a little more time to prepare um, for NC State, especially going into a Thursday game. It's nice to have a bye week so you're not facing a short week. Yeah, yeah, NC State's got, got the week off too. So I think you'd like to think that the ACC would know to do that, um, but obviously right. they did. And, and it'll be good to see two teams who are, you know, well-rested relatively during the season. Um, so you touched on some of the special team success that's been going on with Sterling and Andre Schmidt. Long snapper Aaron Belinsky forced a fumble uh, against Holy Cross. I'm, I'm sure you get a little pride there. What's oh, it like? Yeah. What's it like to see you know like the special teams legacy grow here and like people joke special teams you, but it like if, if Syracuse has been really successful at one thing for the last seven eight years, like that's that's really what it is. How do you kind of see that as someone who maybe was at the beginning of that? Emergence. Sure, you know, and I don't want to cut my good bud Rob Long out of that. I think you know sure. he was kind of kind of a start of that as a you know four year starter and a great punter. And but it is you know special teams. You, I think that should be a real thing. There's no better place to play special teams than at Syracuse. You know, you're playing inside half the games. The other half games, you're playing in ACC weather, which generally is uh, great conditions, and. It has been amazing what we've been able to do in terms of, you know, with Rob, Riley, now Sterling, and even Ross Troutman uh, had some great years kicking, Cole Murphy, and now Andre. Um, it, it's really cool, and as a special teams fan, I love watching it. I think Coach Lustig also has just done a tremendous job with the group they have now. And then, of course, the long snappers who, who have, uh, you know, it was Max Leo before me, and then me, and... Uh, Matt Keller, who did an excellent job, and now uh, Aaron Balinski is doing great. 
at just kind of lifting up the guys around them and, you know, giving them a good snap and getting the playoffs uh, starting off right. And, and it, it, they, they have put it together special teams-wise. And it, it's a big part of the college game, which has uh, helped the team succeed um, for sure. Sure. So I, I don't think we could have you on and not ask you this. Um, give us your best one or two Riley Dixon stories. Prefer, oh, preferably not from plays during games, just because the legend, it seems to grow. Every, you know, every year something new pops up. The legend of, of Clifford. Clifford the Big Red, you know, that's what, that's what we call him. Or King Dixon, you know. <laughs> um, he, let me try and think. I, if you would, have, you would have prepped me on that question, I could have came up with some real... Um, some real great things. I mean, I think one thing everyone knows that Riley's arms. He, I mean, he could throw the ball furthest than anyone on the team. Our uh, my senior year, at least. So he was kind of the backup hail mary person. We needed someone to heave it sixty yards into the end zone. We we're probably calling on him. Um, I would say off on the side. You know, we hung out a lot during practice after we were kind of done with our team periods and. One thing about Riley is he would just constantly punt. Like I know, I know that seems like yeah, obviously he's a punter, but it's kind of like pitching where you can outdo yourself pretty easily, and you should really go in with a plan of, you know, I'm going to hit these thirty balls today, and I'm going to work on this while I'm doing it. But Riley would just he would just take a bag of balls, and he would just keep going and going and going, and obviously something worked out because uh, his NFL career is has been fun to watch and uh he's doing a really good job with it absolutely man sam i just want to thank you for coming on with us and talking to us for a little while man we really appreciate it yeah thanks so much i appreciate uh, both of you inviting me on i love talking orange football and kind of what i'm up to and and uh just how great of a community this is and how excited i am to continue serving and and uh, just just continue pushing and fighting for Central New York. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Yeah, Wish you well on the campaign trail, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, Sam. All right. Thanks again to Sam for coming on. That was a really fun conversation. Uh, let's switch gears here a little bit, talk some football. Uh, Julian, you know, we talked to Sam about his kind of bio experiences. You know, what were yours kind of like, and, and how do you kind of look at this SU team and what they kind of need to get done? With, with their time here. Yeah, so having the split between Coach Marone and Coach Schaefer, uh, it was always different year to year. So with Coach Marone, I remember us having the entire week off. Uh, we had been playing well up to that point. Uh, we had started to kind of catch our rhythm, and the reward was, you know what, you guys rest, go back to your dorms, get off your feet, uh, don't drink too much, just have a good time. <laughs> Uh, but come back so that we're healthy, ready to go. You know, just get off of your feet. And then with Coach Schaefer, uh, at the time we weren't playing as well, and it was all right. You guys get two days off. We're gonna work on some things because we got to figure this out. Um, and I could see Cause, this because he's got to keep his job. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So we got some things to work on. So you guys are gonna need to be in the building. So uh, and what it meant by being in the building was not necessarily with pads on hitting each other. It was going over more film with your offensive or defensive coaches and the assistants. Uh, it was going out and doing walkthroughs. It was maybe putting on the soft shells and uh, getting a fly around practice in. But it was never any hard hitting. And if we were in there, it wasn't uh, 
anything that was uh, detrimental to us as far as like physically or anything like that. It was always about making sure we're healthy and just kind of and more so about making sure we understand what's going on from the neck up. So looking at this year's Syracuse team with Coach Babers, uh, I've heard different things with Coach Babers. Uh, I got a bunch of guys from that he that played under him at Bowling Green State who said. Yeah, we usually got a bunch of time off during our bye week. Uh, we didn't have to worry about it. We love Coach Babers, yada, yada. But then I've also heard from guys here who will say, ah, yeah, well, Coach, it kind of depends on how we're doing. If he's in a good mood, we'll get off. If not, we've got some things to work on. So I'm anticipating that uh, th- during this bye week, it's more so uh, or more likely that they end up coming in, getting some extra film, having some walkthroughs, doing some things to uh, – to better understand the concepts because throughout the first five games of the season, a lot of the things that have hurt Syracuse seem to be above the neck rather than talent. So um, I'd I'd imagine that a lot of film study and a lot of meetings are going to be going on uh, throughout this week, and uh, I think that's going to be the big emphasis on the bye week for Syracuse. Yeah, I want to say last year there was a lot of conditioning. I could be thinking about a different week, but that was the emphasis, and I think – from what I've learned from Dino is he looks at every schedule uniquely and, you know, what what opportunities do you have? Like, they scrimmaged a lot during Holy Cross week with their backups because those guys hadn't really gotten to do much – to play much actual football since preseason camp. Um, I, I suspect there's going to be more selective rest this week. Like you said, film breakdowns, and they weren't touching some of the offensive stuff, but they've got some figuring out to do there, and, and I think the, co- the coaching staff does as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the team how the team responds, and I think it is a really important time because you've got this four-game stretch coming up before a second bye week, another really well-timed bye week uh, at NC State, home against Pitt on Friday night at uh, Florida State, and home against BC. So let's kind of, I guess, turn the page here. I think there are two things kind of that are on the bi-week checklist, in my opinion. Um, The first one is to get healthy. We don't have an official update on Tommy DeVito, Syracuse's quarterback. Obviously, we saw him leave early in the fourth quarter of the Holy Cross game um, with an upper body injury. You know, I rewatched the game. It's it's hard to say exactly what happened. I, I believe he suffered it. Um, two plays before his interception where, where he underthrew Taj Harris, and you could see he clearly wasn't able to put kind of all of his strength behind the ball. Um, his arm's kind of hanging a play before that. I think he may have come down awkwardly on a first down scramble, um, and, and then the training staff was kind of looking at his right side, maybe his underneath his throwing arm. Um, so we'll talk to Dino Babers on Monday and see what kind of update or non-update he has. Um, but, you know, nothing really new on Tommy. We've seen Syracuse without Andre Sisco and Afatu Malafanwu for a couple games now. Secondary having to lean on some backups. Um, Antoine Cordy got hurt, came back for Holy Cross. We do expect those guys to be ready for NC State. I think the, the other guys are, are more of question marks. McKinley Williams, senior defensive tackle. We haven't seen him play since the start of camp. And uh, redshirt junior offensive lineman Sam Heckle, not since the, the second quarter of the Liberty Week. So we, we don't really have an update on Sam. Um, it's kind of going to be when the doctors clear him. It's an upper body injury. Um, that's kind of all that's, that's been publicly said, and Dino hasn't really intimated that there's, there's been any progress toward a return to action. Whereas McKinley Williams, he has said that he's ho- he was hopeful to have him back for NC State. Um, so let's kind of talk about the guys who we think might be back. You know, what, what do you think getting that for that defense, getting back 
if they were to get McKinley, and I think they will get Iffy and Cisco. How does that change what that unit can do? So getting back McKinley, I think is is your top. I think the defensive line and having those guys, and especially McKinley back, uh, is the biggest thing because he's someone who understands the defense. He has good get off. Watching him uh, way back when when I was in Syracuse, he had a lot of. Um, what was the kid's name? Um, I'm losing him now. The CT's killing me. Um, <laughs> number 99. Slayton. Chris Slayton. Had a, he had a lot of Chris Slayton in him. And, uh, and I'm thinking that having his presence back and starting to draw up some of those double teams. And then I'm thinking as well, moving Alton Robinson around the, off, around the defensive line. Uh, finding some ways to get some pressure up front. I think having McKinley Williams back, maybe drawing some double teams, finding ways to get... Out in Robinson, Kendall Coleman, some one-on-ones in the outside. That's going to be a huge key for this defense because, again, I've said this a million times. When the defensive line plays well, typically so does the rest of, this, rest of the defense. In the secondary, with Andre Sisco uh, having him back, I actually think it's more important to have a safety uh, that you're confident in than corners. Uh, only reason I say this is because your safety is the number one communicator. He has to know what's going on. When you've got someone with experience back there, when you have someone who can make up for mistakes at corner or linebacker, whether that's dropping into a zone and making a play or making a tackle in a gap where a linebacker or a D-lineman messes up, I think having Cisco back and having a playmaker at safety is your number one get if you're a Syracuse defense and a secondary. Um, having Melifonwu back as well, I think that's great for him. I'm hoping that he's taking this time off to, one, get in the film room. He, we talked about him always having time with the um, with his trainers, being in the training room, making sure his body's right. So understanding how to get through that period, that's the one part I, I don't know about is a training period because I try to stay away from them as <laughs> much as possible. Shout out to Denny. I hated those guys, though. So I, I don't know much about the training pro, the training room process and getting back from that. And uh, But I'm, I'm hoping the, the goal is for him that he's used this time to uh, kind of recover and throughout his body and is, is ready to go uh, come NC State. Yeah, my thought is the cumulative effect of those guys means more opportunities for big plays, mm. you know, more opportunities for sacks, for, for pressures, for forced fumbles, and for interceptions. I mean, Andre Sisco is averaging like almost an interception a game for his career. So at, at a certain point, <laughs> at a certain point, the sample size is large enough where yeah. like this kid makes plays, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I think at the very least, Syracuse will have those two guys back in the secondary and uh, – and, and that'll be helpful for NC State. Um, schematically, I think the side of the ball that is, mo- is more concerning is the offense. You know, we have seen a group that basically c- can't run the ball. You know, even Holy Cross is daring them to run the ball, and Syracuse is having mixed success against an FCS team. But based on all we've kind of seen, Julian, like, is, is, is there adjustments that can be made? Like, is this something that can be coached around? Are there different parts of the field to attack? Or is this just like... This is just how it's going to be. So I looked into this, and one, I think the the initial problem is the offensive line and figuring out what do we do with that because we've had Moniel for years, and we know what he can do. The kid, sure. He's a ball player. Uh, and I think it, all these problems are starting up front. So you ask yourself, well, how do we find ways to run the football? One, the first idea is you start pulling guards, moving guys around on the offensive line, having them pull traps, setting up defensive linemen, finding ways to get to the edge. But again, we've talked about this on earlier podcasts. The goal of this offense is to run the ball 
down the middle. When you spread guys out, the hope is, and this is exactly what you're getting, which is killing me. You're getting a bunch of, you're, you're spreading out linebackers. They're not in the gaps. You've got safeties sitting on top of receivers out, out wide. So you've got running wings. It's just blocks aren't sustained. Yeah. And if that's not happening, you can't do anything. There's no scheme that you can put together. There, there, there's nothing that you can, you know, put on a whiteboard and say, this is what we're going to do. And all of a sudden it's going to work if you can't maintain your block. So I think that's going to – the key is these guys, the offensive line. They've got to at some point figure out their keys, understanding how to set a block and maintain their block uh, throughout a play because without without it, there's no scheme that you can put together. Um, in terms of throwing the ball, there are different things you can do. You can get outside of the block pocket. You could take deeper drops. Uh, there's things that, of that nature. And I remember back in the day. The deeper drops aren't working for what it's worth. Uh, yeah. Because the tackles <laughs> are getting run around. Like, they want DeVito closer to the line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things to try here. And, it, it, again, it just comes back to – and this is the worst coaching point that um, I've ever heard, but it, it, it really comes down to it. Play better. And I've, listen, it happens. It happens. Um, I've heard of it in halftime uh, uh, locker rooms and, and, and really after games. The, the thought is, listen, it's not the scheme. It's you. And I, that's a tough thing to hear uh, when you're a player or an offensive lineman or whatever it is. But um, after the sample size that we have now, five games and seeing this team, especially against a Holy Cross, uh, it, it really is just a matter of, upping your play and finding ways to actually uh, perform and produce at your position. Yeah, I, I'm I'm leaning that way pretty hard. Um, I do think there's an opportunity for these guys to get better. I think in some spots you've seen some growth. I think Dakota Davis has, has gotten a little better at guard. Um, I, I think the tackles and pass protection are still really a problem. And, and frankly, in the run game, it's, it's some of everyone. Mm-hmm. You look around and you even see Evan Adams had a couple false starts against Holy Cross. Aaron Service is is struggling to hold his own against some of the bigger interior linemen he's facing. Yeah. This is a guy who lost some weight um, at the end of last season, and you know he says kind of always happens that he wasn't really able to put it back on, and that might be okay if you're at tackle. Mm-hmm. But if you're going up against you know a nose tackle and he's just getting you know once he gets turned a little bit, you're seeing guys push past him. Yeah. So. It's it's really coming from all over. Um, you know, we'll see what they can do this week to to hopefully patch some of that up from their perspective. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a little bit more Patrick Davis at right tackle. He played the fourth quarter against Holy Cross, which I know isn't exactly the most meaningful time, but he was out there with the first team offense for a couple series. So. And he looked good, actually, against Western Michigan. He's made a couple nice blocks. He had a, a pancake against Holy Cross and a good second-level block against Western Michigan, which I know shouldn't be a big deal, but right. as someone who's rewatched all the games, like, <laughs> there really aren't that many of them. Yeah. So, you know, small sample size. I'm not saying he should be playing, but something to kind of monitor. Um, and Any other thoughts as we kind of transition out of the bye week, Julian? Uh, my only hope at this point for Syracuse, uh, and I, I – we talked about this again on an earlier show um i was worried that this season would be either very good or very bad and i think we're at that apex point now to know whether or not this team slants upward or downward i think that this nc state game is going to be uh really an indication of where this team's at at this point because uh, again i i was asking you on like the third or fourth episode who's gonna beat them 
Who's going to beat them? And now it's like, dang. Their dude. offensive line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it could be the offensive line. But um, at this point now, it's a bunch of 50-50 games. But yeah. um, I, I, I really believe that if one game is is a loss, whether it's NC State or the next, um, I, I really think that they might string together. So I'm, I'm hoping for improvement uh, from the O-line, uh, from the defense, from the quarterback position, from the receivers. Um, it's going to take an all-around effort to fix this thing, and I'm hoping that we see that against NC State because I think that game will show us who and what this team is, and from that point we'll know what the season outlook should be. Yeah, I'm going to add the coaching staff to that list too. I oh, mean, you, you need to you need to figure out how to make things work with your pieces. No, the line is is not good, and the passing game has had some issues. But you know, Dino Babers has been coaching a long time. He's mm-hmm. dealt with different personnel quandaries, and uh, and frankly, he's he's got a bye week to figure some of it out. So I think him and Mike Lynch will probably mix in some new stuff. I'm really interested to see if they can find, um, you know, find ways to make it work. So so that's uh, that's all we got for today. Um, we're going to catch up with you again before the NC State game. Please, again, subscribe to us, iTunes, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you use. Um, leave us five stars. And if you would like to purchase advertising, please contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. Thanks. <laughs>